Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We are back. Uh, we played games that weren't Zelda this week. Yeah. We, I mean, we played Zelda this week, but we also played games that weren't Zelda as well. Uh, yeah, it feels a little bit like I, I was reminded of when I went to sleepaway camp and like every week there was sort of an event at the end of the week. And one week the choice was, do you want to see the new Pixar movie? Finding Nemo. Oh. Or do you want to see the magician that has come to campus? And I feel like <laughs> the games we've the other games we played are great, but it always kind of feels like I'm seeing the magician when I'm not playing Zelda. <laughs> you know, it's like I have Finding Nemo at any time I can put on one of Pixar's best, but I'm going to the magician just for you, dear listener, just for the oh. sake of variety. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also i did go to the magician it was me and three other kids and he was so upset oh no it was not the right choice i if i could change anything i would change that yeah when i when i was in i don't know if i ever told the story on the show but when i was in a band we did this one uh, east coast tour and uh three nights were in philly specifically opening for a philly-based band uh, so we were like really stoked about it because like this it was like this band's like big album release. They were doing three shows. They sold out all three nights specifically, you know, for their album release. People were like really excited and we were supposed to open for all, all three nights. And uh, on night one, the band decided we're going to switch your spot. So we're opening for you now. So they opened everyone left and then we played to nobody oh no <laughs> which was like <laughs> i know exactly how that magician feels in yeah. that case because it was like literally us playing for the people who run the bar which was about three people that's yeah. like I, I i was transported immediately back to that show i had a similar experience when i did stand up in college i had friends who like did a lot of concerts and like ran like various like radio station stuff. And they asked me to like host and perform at an event at this bar in town. So I, but they wanted me to do my set in the middle. And I feel like if you're mixing stand up with music, you got to have stand up first. It, it just feels really weird psychologically to like shift in the middle of a concert to like, so I was walking to school, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So I had to do my set in the middle and the act that went on before me was like an incredible hip hop group. And they ended their set by saying, not a sandwich, not a burger, that's a wrap, and drop the mic. And I was like, how on earth do I now go like, so, you know, me and my girlfriend went to Chipotle. Like, how do I, and like, I just, I started doing my set and like, no one was listening. Like, oh, no, no one was listening at all. I remember I had a friend who came to see me who I saw her face in the distance just looking sad. sucks. <laughs> so I, I got my karmic payback for the magician of 2003. <laughs> I can't believe we opened the show with just like trauma. Yeah. <laughs> just like performance trauma. Just performance. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out at some point. Might as well be now. <laughs> what else do you want to know? Ooh. I once knocked my front teeth out in my first year of college. And that's true. Yeah. That did happen. We're back, baby. <laughs> Got any tricks? I do. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, weird segue, but we have an announcement. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe the worst way to set up this announcement. <laughs> okay. Trauma and then logistics. That's the, the one-two punch of the aether. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get this out of the way. This is not bad. This is going to sound bad when we say it, but it's not bad. I promise. This, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, I, I know. 
<laughs> it sounds like okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say what we're doing. Yes, and then I'm gonna follow up with logistics. So here is the announcement. We have decided during the months of June and July that we are going to take a brief vacation from the show we will be taking off from recording the months of june and july and then coming right back at the very beginning of august with the dreamcast premiere august 2nd august 2nd exactly there's a date it's in the calendar it's really happening it's a promise i want to start with logic and end with emotion logic is (laughs) what does this mean exactly so basically in the main feed the last episode that will be released before the august 2nd dreamcast premiere is the thousand year door bonus we're recording that with our friend will and that should probably come out in early june at some point so that will be the last episode available for everyone if you are a patron honestly nothing really changes we actually have an episode in the works uh that will be also put on the patreon in june and any percent will continue so the patreon will actually remain uh fairly active you'll get a new episode in june and any percent will continue during the months of june and july also i imagine uh, no promises but i i would guess that one of us will stream here and there in this time too yeah i'm planning on streaming a bunch actually yeah so so we will be around basically just taking a break from recording so that's that's most of the logistics unless i'm missing anything and move on to emotion here so the reason (laughs) we're doing this honestly it's not i just want to say it's not a MythBuster scenario. <laughs> yes, it's not. To be clear, it's almost kind of silly we're doing this now because we still like we love doing the show. We are having maybe our best year yet. And we don't feel truly, I think we would be transparent if we felt burnt out. If we were like, hey, like we're really we want to really like regain the spirit we once had. Honestly, we're we're feeling great. But it was actually during um you were recently on our friend Kyle's new podcast, Why Button, which I highly recommend. It's a great it's really podcast. Good. It's yeah. about why we play games, why we care about games. There's There's been a lot of great guests, including Brendan himself. Oh, hey. But on that episode, I was listening to it, and I always enjoy hearing you on other shows. I'm like, that's 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 my guy. That's like, we do a show together. <laughs> it kind of makes our show feel more real, because I feel like there's still this feeling of like people reading our just journal. Skype. Yeah, it's just Skype. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, a cursed reveal that we use Skype. Um, But uh, <laughs> you were on Kyle's show, and, and a question we're asked all the time is like, how do you make time for all these games? Uh, how do you make time for all you know i think kyle was like almost in a worried tone was like in the last month you've released you yeah. 10 hours of content um yeah and he was like you know how do you basically maintain that enthusiasm uh and you said something like well, you know we've we've considered taking breaks before you mentioned that you and aj had talked about maybe taking a brief sabbatical but like we're always excited enough and enjoy the show enough to keep going I mean, I totally agree with that. But hearing you say we talked about a sabbatical, my brain kind of lit up. And I had this realization of like in July and in this July, we will have done the show for five years. Yeah. And that's amazing. And I'm really proud of us. And in that time, we have skipped maybe three weeks in total like and we've released enough bonus episodes to make up for those weeks and then some exactly so we basically haven't taken a break and we thought it would be especially helpful especially because we're not burnt out to take a couple months off 
just to sort of reset a little bit, come back with a full tank, spend some time doing other things, spend some time really getting more time to prepare for the Dreamcast premiere so that episode can be even better than it already was going to be. It just felt like the right time to do it. We considered possibly also doing it after Goaty, but it just felt like we wanted to come back with a big episode. Yeah. And also, I mean, the other thing too is that, not to like pat ourselves on the back, but I'm really happy that a lot of new listeners feel compelled to go back and listen to the whole show. We have data to suggest that that's like a pretty common occurrence. People like listening to the backlog and and we have we really wanted this show to to be listened to that way like not that you have to listen to the whole thing yeah but we wanted every episode even if it feels like a little time capsule like when we're like i can't wait for smash brothers to come out um <laughs> it, it will it will still be fun to listen to because we're talking about games from all eras yeah so if you're a new listener and you're like i will never catch up on this backlog our gift to you is is a little bit of time <laughs> to catch up <laughs> if you want to but i'm uh, the more we talked about it the more excited i felt weirdly which is kind of ironic because I, I think again we love doing the show but it just felt like this will be really good to prevent us from feeling burnt out yeah. and to come back with like new energy potentially new ideas whenever we've taken a week off we come back like i finished this in this series so i can't even imagine what's going to happen after two months yeah and yeah and we've also thought about how we can maybe update the main feed in creative ways but that would almost maybe defeat the purpose of taking a break so right, exactly. no promises there but maybe we'll find something weird to do uh but that that's that's the plan. And please, you know, if you have any questions, let us know. I think I covered everything there, but um, I imagine that that most of you would understand why we're doing this. And I'm really, really excited for the future of the show because we have long term plans for the show. And this decision is in aid of really keeping the show like successful in the long term. Yeah, that was all really well said. Um, you let you left me with nothing on the plate. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, um, I, I think specifically um this summer is just also like outside of doing the show is just like an extremely busy time for both you and i i have like a billion weddings to go to um and it was just going to require us like rescheduling over and over and over and over again which uh is where i think like if if there's ever a point where the show falters at all it's like when you and i record on a monday and then we have to record again on a wednesday it's like okay what can we play on tuesday uh to to make a full episode on wednesday so just trying to like schedule our lives also i mean to be completely transparent i've had a lot of health stuff recently that hasn't been like super great so having some time to like actually relax and like chill out will be really nice and i think all of that kind of funnels up to what you were saying which is like we'll just have a lot of time to prep for the dreamcast which uh i'm really excited about doing yeah um but on top of that i mean even things like like there are projects that you and i want to work on outside of the show that we haven't really had a chance to like if they're hey if you're out there listening and you have another video game podcast and like now's the time if you want to invite us to be on that i I feel like we've kind of been uh hard to pin down scheduling wise in the past but like june and july we're here so that'll be cool but like you have some stuff you're working on. I don't want to, I don't want to blow up your spot. So, you know, if you want to share it, you can, um, I have wavelengths, which is the other video game show that I'm doing, which I haven't been able to do because of health stuff and doing this show recently. Cause I find that with, with a podcast, the biggest thing is habit forming. The biggest thing is like building the habit of like getting in the ritual of doing it all the time. Um, and wavelengths has been hard to do recently and, uh, having two months of like, yeah, cool. I can just for two months build the habit of like making wavelengths every week. So when we come back with aether, it'll just like slot in naturally. Um, yeah. that'll also be really nice, but yeah, I don't know. It's just an exciting time. I get, I'll get to go to the beach. <laughs> I didn't go to the beach last summer and now I can go to the beach this summer and that'll be nice. I'll get to go to New Jersey. Yeah. Um, uh, which I'm excited <laughs> to visit home for a bit too. But yeah, I mean, that's, 
basically everything. So another thing too, uh, just, you know, for patrons, like obviously if you feel that like at any time you need to pull your support, we totally understand. I will just note though that the show, even though we're taking a break, will still cost money. Like we still pay to host the show itself. We're still going to be paying AJ. So like if you are able to support that place, like it still will be contributing to the show. Yeah. Um. So just, just for full transparency there. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like any percent is still going to keep going and we also have at least one episode that we know we're going to release on the patron feed um outside of any percent uh exactly interim so i also have an idea for another one actually which i want to talk to you about after this but anyway the only thing i'm nervous about the only thing that scares me is what on earth is going to be announced the minute we take a break like i know the 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 first week we take off it's going to be like silk song comes out of nowhere like you know everything we've dreamed of happens and we just have to like watch here's the thing and scream first of all uh, (laughs) (laughs) we're taking a break during summer games fest which i think <laughs> is notable also like the playstation event is soon i think like in two days or like maybe the day after this episode comes out uh so like we'll know what sony's up to soon look i mean that that was that was one of the episodes i was thinking about for the patreon feed is like hey if we want to talk about summer games fest like that'd be sure a natural place to do it because that's where we usually do it anyway um, yeah. on top of that wavelengths exists and that's a show about video game news so if you want to come and talk to me about summer games fest you're always welcome, obviously. Oh, thank you. I thought yeah. you were talking to the listeners. Me? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Me? you. That's you, baby. Wow. Uh, anyway, I, th- I think there probably will be some stuff like that. And uh, all the more reason to get excited about coming back in August. Exactly. Yeah. So and I, I just think coming back with the season premiere is really exciting. And then, you know, gearing up for game of the year as well after that. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's the plan. Um, again, if you have any questions, let us know. But I think we've pretty much covered everything. Call me. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, why don't we take a break and come back with the games we've been playing for today? Live in the present for once. Yeah. One of which the first one, a Dreamcast game. Wow. Wow. Can't wait. Can you believe that? See you soon. We're back. Hello. Talking about a Dreamcast game, specifically talking about a Dreamcast game that you wanted to bring. You were so enthralled by this game that you wanted to bring it up last week. And I I personally put the kibosh on it. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. to You pulled to, the magician off stage. With I, I did. I said, you got to watch Finding Nemo. Um, <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. You're destroying yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to reel in your enthusiasm. Uh, but the big thing about it was that I also wanted to play this game before we started talking about it. And now I have. And uh, it's called Skies of Arcadia. And now I'll yeah. give you the floor because your your uh, enthusiasm, I think, is is overwhelming. And I can't wait to just be washed in it. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you think as well. So, yeah, I, I, I'm like I started my Dreamcast prep in earnest about three weeks ago yeah i don't know time is time is weird but like basically right after we recorded our episode with with chris plant i i started beginning my prep yeah and like i know you started just going alphabetically down the list which is very funny um (laughs) i started just like what games do i want to play right now Mm mm-hmm which I won't say is the better method, but I think I had more fun earlier than you did. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, I, th- I think I think I ran into some real clunkers real quick. That yeah. being said, Alien Front Online and Cannon Spike, Chef Kiss. Yeah. Also, Chef Kiss. Uh, eighteen wheeler American Pro Trucker. Awesome. The first one alphabetically. Incredible video game. Yeah. When you break, it goes, uh, which is <laughs> which is a lot of fun. I think what's really interesting, and I don't, I don't want to say too much on this because obviously we have a whole episode on the horizon about the Dreamcast, but just to kind of give like a little a little bit of what the experience has been so far i think it's really fascinating now that we are 
three consoles in in our episodes that are about consoles. Um, you know, we started with the Game Boy Advance, playing a lot of that library. Then we did the DS. And then for our Patreon, we did the 3DS. And I think it's interesting to see what types of games are popular on each console. Yeah. Like, I think the Game Boy Advance is a pretty even spread between genres. There, there are a lot of, like, tactics games and a lot of, like, turn-based RPGs. But essentially being a portable Super Nintendo kind of gives, like a wide landscape to genre, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if there was one style of game that was more popular than another on the Game Boy Advance, notably. Shrek 2 spinoffs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas the DS was like almost all RPGs. Like there, there were a lot of really experimental games that like were were of different genres that like used touch controls and the dual screens in different ways. Actually more on that this episode. But I feel like the DS and the 3DS there were a lot of notably long RPGs on mm-hmm. those consoles. Yeah. Which I think is why we started the prep a little bit earlier because a lot of those games required more time. The Dreamcast on the other on the other end is like the pitch of the Dreamcast was essentially now you have the arcade at home. So a lot of the games are like you know, from the arcades and are very like ba- like 18 wheeler American pro truckers. Like you just got to get to the goal as quickly as possible mm-hmm. or something like crazy taxi. Like a lot of these games are very like they don't really require a ton of time to experience. Like you could put a lot of time into them and get to know them, but you kind of get the experience faster because the games are made to grab your attention and your quarters uh, and, you know, your interest right away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's interesting that, you know, there are there are still a lot of big RPGs, not quite as many as on the DS. But the ones you see, if you were just to Google, like, what are the best Dreamcast games? There are two big RPGs that come up on almost all of them. Uh, one is Grandia 2, which I haven't played yet. I'm very excited to, to check that out. Yeah. The other is Skies of Arcadia. And this, this game is kind of lost to time a little bit. It was ported to the GameCube. Skies of Arcadia Legends. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Dreamcast games, especially towards like the 2000 2001 timeline, a lot of them got ported to GameCube and PS2 as well because the Dreamcast was like failing. Yeah, a- Xbox got all the sequels and then PS2 and GameCube got all the ports. Right, so like Res was also I actually played Res on PS2 for the first time like when I was growing up. Yeah. Um Skies of Arcadia got the GameCube port and it's kind of tragic to me that like this is a a constant refrain of ours but i'm like i can't believe this game is not on the switch i can't believe that this game is just like sitting in the backlog of sega's library yeah i can't believe that this game isn't a huge franchise yeah so so skies of arcadia is a rpg i was expecting it to be kind of like standard like I was expecting it to be like charming, but like, okay, here's like kind of a known commodity. Like here's sort of like the Dreamcast RPG. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be like immediately a masterpiece. <laughs> um, so I guess just to like the closest parallel, I would say is there, there's a lot of Dragon Quest energy in this game. The orchestrated soundtrack reminds me a lot of Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. I don't know who composed it, so maybe there's some crossover there. But if not, it just it really is going for that kind of mood and atmosphere and it's essentially 
taking place in a world where there are all these islands in the sky and the world is inhabited by sky pirates um, and you play uh, the game begins and the protagonist is the son of the captain of the blue rogues who are kind of like notably quote unquote good pirates like oh we only steal from the military vessels like we won't attack civilians right. whereas there are other pirates that will attack anybody and yeah. steal whatever they have I'm excited to see if that gets challenged at all like I'm excited to see if like the blue rogues are maybe not quite as heroic as they seem or maybe the other pirates are like you know more benign than they're talked about but regardless of that it's very very much like i know uh comparing things to studio ghibli is becoming kind of trite at this point but like feels so much like castle in the sky like the the influence is like visible and so cool but also so unique like it's it's definitely got studio ghibli energy but it feels distinctly its own thing mm-hmm. it also reminds me like the the character models and the just the way the world is portrayed in 3d and this like early era of 3d is very similar to ocarina of time like the character models remind me so much of like a slightly souped up ocarina of time character they're so expressive and I think that's what amazes me the most is like this game looks so good still like it's obviously got the the style of like an early 3d game but like the environments and the the way the sky looks the way the characters look their expressions like all of that has aged so well that's the big thing for me the the thing the thing that i think i i really drill down on when i'm playing this game is the animation work is second to none like the anime compared to other games of the era which if you're pointing to its contemporaries final fantasy 8 i I think was the most recent Final Fantasy at that point. Dragon yeah. Quest 7 was the most recent Dragon Quest at that point on the PS1. Uh, compared to both of those, neither of them have animation of this caliber. Like the 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 expressiveness of the characters not only in their facial expressions but actually in the way their bodies move throughout the world and the ways in which they have like gone the extra mile to make sure that literally every single scene has like new animations for every character reacting to every single line of dialogue that is being said. I mean, like no other game of that time is doing that uh, to this level. It's it's like really stunning. And you mentioned this at the top, but this this is like a first party Sega game. This is like a game like developed in house by a Sega studio published by Sega. Um, And it was just like a one and done thing. And I guess because the Dreamcast didn't work out like this didn't work out as a franchise but i just looked it up and i i hate that final fantasy keeps being the villain of sega here in the dreamcast <laughs> history but final fantasy 10 came out the next year yeah and i just feel like that must have been like a black hole of attention for rpgs because that was like <laughs> yeah the first voice acted final fantasy the the first ps2 final fantasy i mean that game was such a giant leap yeah that maybe it was harder to be in I, I, it's kind of interesting how i feel like skies of arcadia is maybe even more impressive now than it was like when it came out because yeah. like we can kind of compare it more to again it's contemporaries and see like the animation here the the art direction and also even just like the camera work yeah like the angles of the shots like when you see there's this great shot uh, one of the characters is this princess who is like of a mysterious origin that all the factions are kind of trying to kidnap for unknown reasons yeah and she's on board the like fascist empire uh ship also does the design like the, the soldiers of the fascist empire look like deep sea divers they have these like giant helmets yeah it's so fun it's not too dissimilar from what we eventually saw in xenoblade chronicles 2 uh in terms yeah. in terms of that art direction specifically in in those kinds of uniforms uh th- that is very a very similar thing where you're in the sky deep sea diving technically into the depths of the sky which is a cool idea yeah i just i think the way this game opens too is like 
second to only maybe like the way Final Fantasy VII opens. It just like gets started so quickly. Uh, it's like a very Star Wars beginning where this is like this is tiny little ship that the princess is on. It's essentially like a scooter in the in the sky, yeah. being chased by this giant scary military vessel. Yeah. And then, you know, in the midst of that conflict, the blue rogues show up and they're immediately so charming. Like the the two main characters are are Vice, who has an eye patch that's a goggle, which is like a brilliant choice yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for a sky pirate. Um, and his friend Ika, I believe is her name. And she is like a very kind of like plucky, arrogant, you know, a uh, pirate. And you know, familiar archetypes, but I think they're really endearing like right away. Yeah. And one dynamic that kind of grabbed me in the early hours of the game is that, you know, Vice's dad is the captain and he constantly calls him dad. And he's like, it's captain right now. Like we're, we're boarding an enemy ship. Like, yeah, don't call, you me, don't dad. call me dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love that bit. And uh, so it's like immediately really charming. The combat initially I was like, okay, this is like fairly standard, but it actually gets way more strategic pretty early on. Like it's turn-based combat. It is a little slow. The animations are good and the music is great, but the frequency in which you get into battles, I think that's like the one sticking point for a lot of people is like, it can feel a little draining for the battles to be as slow as they are. And as frequent as they are. Yeah. Uh, which is one, yeah. of, one of the things that the GameCube port apparently changed a lot was reducing the rate of random encounters. Yeah. Um, but the way it works, it's almost a little bit like Chrono Trigger where characters are moving around kind of of their own free will as you fight. So like there are some like random attacks of opportunity happening and like counter attacks that are kind of out of your control to sort of like passive numbers in the background. But all the characters can either attack, guard, use magic, or use their super move. What's really interesting though, is that every character can also change the element of their weapon every turn. And by doing that, you can, you know, you can see what the enemy is weaker to by kind of experimenting. And then at the end of the battle, depending on what element you used, you will gain experience like in that element and you can learn spells of that element. So there's like, kind of two incentives to change the element of your weapon either to see what does the most damage or like you know what i really want to learn the next wind spell so i'm gonna have my weapon be green for this battle that was that was the big thing i was gonna shout out was i it almost has the like oblivion ask if you keep jumping you'll jump higher yes. kind of thing yes where the more the more you use certain elements uh the, the more stuff you unlock for those elements like the more magic spells that you can learn for those elements so i i started the game and was like as soon as I learned that that was a mechanic, I just focused on the whatever the green element is, which is essentially like unlocking uh, heals and buffs and debuffs for the party. So now I'm in this space where like I don't have any real at all uh, magic that I can use to like damage the enemy. But I do have a lot of really interesting ways of like keeping my party alive and debuffing the enemy. And now only now after I've unlocked a bunch of those, am I starting to kind of get into like, OK, I should probably have like a fire spell and an ice spell and stuff. Uh, so yeah. I'm starting to unlock those slowly. I haven't seen a lot of turn based games take this kind of oblivion or sky approach to leveling i think the, the last one i can think of was final fantasy 2 which that was also like a game i haven't played it but from what i know of the game the more you do certain actions the better the characters get at those things yeah. but it was kind of from what i know it was a little bit like the execution was a little off here i think it works really well because it's it's just the magic and it allows you to kind of like creatively customize characters a little bit the other thing is that every character has their own unique super moves and you unlock more of those by eating moon berries which reminds me a lot of like the devil fruit in one piece yeah which totally. i imagine is kind of a reference to yeah it might be yeah 
It's a good point. What's interesting is that in the battles, like every character has HP and MP. MP is like really low. So I think this game is kind of going out of its way to make magic feel special. Yeah. Like it's it's like not something you can really rely on, but it's something that might give you an edge. The super moves rely on, I think it's called spirit. So mm-hmm. your your whole party collectively has a spirit meter that kind of goes up naturally every turn, but it's shared amongst every character. So you have to kind of think like, okay, who is going to use their super move? I think even some spells require it as well. Yeah. So the the big thing about spells is that they require MP and spirit. Um, And there's one NPC that you talked to early in the game who's like, make sure if you're ever using your MP, because all all spells cost one MP. So like, make sure if you're using that one spell that you're getting the most bang for your buck. So like use the one that also costs the most spirit because that'll do the highest damage. Because if you're waste, if you're using one of your MP anyway, you might as well like get the most out of it, which I think is really interesting dynamic. It's really cool. And it also kind of frames every battle as like working as a team, which I think kind of aids the theme of the game of like, you know, yeah. being part of this crew and working together. Yeah. Oh, and that spirit meter also refills uh, with with each combat. Like it's it starts at the same place every time you get into combat. So you're really incentivized to like use your super moves that don't use MP, but like use just the spirit meter, like pretty much every time you're in combat is like, how, how yeah. can you build up your spirit meter enough to start using super moves for people? The first boss kind of feels like a father Gascoigne skill check in that way, because yeah. you kind of like at that point, I had forgotten that I had moonberries. So I, I kept getting rocked by the boss and I'm like, mm. Do I have to grind like in my in my low level? And the answer was that I hadn't eaten the moonberries and the super moves that I unlocked really helped me turn the tide of the battle because it wasn't even just doing more damage, but like there were like Vice's first two super moves. One just like he attacks a lot with his cutlass, but the other one is he goes into a defensive stance and counters yeah. the enemy's next attack. And Ika has a like similar like boomerang attack, but also puts up a shield that blocks all magic attack for the next turn. So there's really a lot going on in a very seemingly simple uh, like battle system. I actually really like it. I think, you know, one, I appreciate that it's like fully turn based. I think ATB is the biggest hit or miss like turn based system, in my opinion. Yeah. But I'm really impressed at how good the combat is because I was like. The area I was expecting to be like fine. Like I was expecting this game to have like a charming atmosphere and story, but like maybe the combat is like a placeholder, but it really is like a great part of the game. There eventually are also air battles, which I haven't done yet, but eventually there are like fights like with the ships themselves. Yeah. And I cannot wait for that. Yeah. that That's, I think an important note is that, you know, a lot of this game is played the same way you would play a final fantasy or a dragon quest of this era, which is like, you know, your character representing the entire party running around in like temples and dungeons and in an overworld and like just kind of hanging out and fighting enemies and going and and fighting a big boss at the end and moving on with the story but there's a whole second half of this game which is like kind of the reason for the season in a way which is you can get on a ship and like fly around through the sky and just kind of explore the world at your own whim it seems like you know in the beginning of the game they're like really railroading you and being like hey you should go here you should go here you should go here but there's a certain point where you could just like get the ship and just kind of like explore. Uh, and I mean, that is like exhilarating, especially in a game that came out in the early 2000s or I think in 2000. It's like it's unbelievable how big of a scope there is when it comes to the world size in this game. It just it just feels like an adventure, which is like what you would want out of this. You know, it feels like you are the captain of a ship yes. and you are chasing your adventure. It reminds me, honestly, a lot of Final Fantasy 12, like Vaughn's whole thing. It's like I'm, yeah, li- I'm living Vaughn's dream from Final Fantasy 12 <laughs> immediately at the at the start of this game. 
It kind of feels like someone at Sega threw their hands in the air and they're like, why don't you start the game with the airship? Like, why do yes. we have to wait 40 hours to get the airship? Right. But you're so right that the game is so dedicated to making you feel like a pirate and feel like you're on a big adventure yeah. to the point where uh, I'm a little bit ahead of you, but you get to another island called, I think, Sailor Isle. It's an awesome place. It's, it reminds me so much of Hyrule Market. Like, there are these two guys that are constantly whispering rumors to each other. <laughs> and uh, you can go to a place that lives literally is just there to buy and sell information so you can like buy like hey we heard rumors about like if you go like northwest from here and your compass starts acting up like explore whatever is right there that's so cool it's i mean it's sort of a way of gamifying and giving literal value to like the rumors people in, in final fantasy one would say in a town mm -hmm. where they would be like you know but in, the, in those games that was how you figured out the critical path and <laughs> this game it's like the critical path is very clear yeah but the secrets are where you can like if you want to save up money to like buy information and that's something where it's like i don't need to look at a game facts guide because i can just like actually go to a store and buy a piece of a game facts guide <laughs> i i'm in love with this game i i really it makes me kind of sad that it's like not super easy to get but if, if you have any way of playing it and you haven't and you are a fan of rpgs this feels like an all-timer like immediately yeah i really hope the magic of this show leads to a switch port being announced <laughs> in our absence because it, it, it's interesting because if you look at the history of this game like sega has been interested in porting it forward they just haven't for some reason mm. I'm, I'm not sure why but there have like these characters are in valkyria chronicles as like cameos um i think you can recruit vice Ica, and, and a few others wow. which is fun and i feel like the the like in sega's attempts to kind of have like their own ip outside of sonic like this is a recognizable series that people love. Um, it didn't do well commercially, I would guess, because it came out the end of the Dreamcast. And then when it got ported to GameCube, Final Fantasy X came out. Um, <laughs> but it is so worth your time. It is it is so unique and so fun. And, it, and I think that is the key word is it's ironic that not many RPGs really do give you that sense of adventure the games that I think really do fill me with this spirit of like, I am on an adventure. I can do anything are this Dragon Quest eight. And yeah, Final Fantasy 12 also has that too. I think mm. Wind Waker as well. I think there's definitely like a Wind Waker energy to this game too. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's and so cool. One of the things that I'm like absolutely obsessed with and you, and you shouted it out earlier, but I just want to double down on it is I, I love the skyboxes in Dreamcast games, and and yes. the one in this game is is just so beautiful. <laughs> just, yeah. just like the the really like the the first time uh, Adobe Photoshop included the render clouds option <laughs> on the most like vivid blue you could possibly imagine is just like such a staple of this era of art direction that i i am all about it it, it looks so beautiful I, I love i love the way this game looks it's so impressive because usually this era of 3d has kind of aged very poorly like i think as much as i love ff7 that game is confusing visually it, it takes some getting used to this is like if you are a developer who wants to make like a purposely like i think we're at that point where like this style of early 3d might become like the new cool thing to do like the Super Nintendo style for a while was like the go-to look for an indie game. Yeah. I feel like I would love to see more attempts to like really nail that like polygonal style. Like we do see some that do that for sure. But I think we're at an era where that is becoming really nostalgic and really people figuring out how to do it well. Um, we see a lot in like horror games, like kind of go for the uncanniness of it all. Like going for like a, like a uh, what's that game called? Um, paratopic right yeah and signalis too i would say both kind of are going for like a 
PS1 aesthetic. And, and that really aids the atmosphere of those games. But I think there's a way to like go for the like welcoming cartoonish vibe of this game. It's it's it just looks so beautiful. I wasn't prepared for that, really. Yeah. I will add uh, as a final note, because I don't want to spoil anything, but there are two sequences where Vice and Ika high five for approximately 10 minutes. <laughs> and that was when I knew this game was for me. I'm like, I can't believe they did this more than once. Yeah. I love this so much. Yeah, th- so yeah, I think uh, this will come up on our Dreamcast episode for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to get deeper into it. Um, I will also say, uh, although I started playing it on the Dreamcast, I'm now playing it handheld, which I think is a really nice uh, a nice shift for me. Uh, more credence to you saying that they should probably port it to the Switch or something. But the controls are a little wild on on the Dreamcast where you have to press the, the left and right triggers to move the camera left and right and being able to just remap that to the right analog stick on a handheld is also really nice um yeah but uh yeah i don't know this game this game rocks uh i'll also just give a shout out to harper j uh who's the community manager over at double fine who i feel like has been tweeting about this game like almost nonstop for years and years and years and it has just been like worming its way into my subconscious so when we did that dreamcast <laughs> episode and plant was like hey what game are you most excited to play immediately i was thinking about all of those tweets and i was like skies of arcadia i gotta know why like i have to know why yeah in some ways, I wish this became its own series, but in another way, it's also kind of magical. There's just this one. Yeah, that's um, true. But I would also like, I think it's Chained Echoes, I think really is interested in sort of like the sky armor and the airship stuff, which is really cool and kind of makes that game feel unique. Mm. Um, but I think there's enough of a unique pitch to Skies of Arcadia that I think it would still stand out amidst all the RPGs that are currently available. Yeah. You know, even just the sense of like you are a pirate, it's going to feel like you're a pirate. That is enough of a pitch even today. I totally agree with that. I also honestly like what it comes down to in a lot of these cases is like even if all of that stuff works, if the combat is like too by the books or like way too wild sometimes, I feel like that could be enough of a turnoff for me to not check that stuff out and the combat in this game is really, really interesting and it's really fun. And that that by itself is one of the reasons that I'm sticking around also. Uh, I, I just feel like that that could have been the place where it fell on its face and it extremely does not and actually yeah. like exceeds kind of my expectations on that front. One thing I've heard that might be kind of a little tedious is that you do get punished for running from battles yeah because it will lower your swashbuckling like <laughs> reputation yeah because you'll be seen as like a, a yellow-bellied coward if you run for which i kind of love that but yeah. if it's coupled with random encounters being too high i can see that being frustrating for some players yeah i haven't run into that yet but that is like that is truly the one critique of this game i've seen it's like the one point of feedback people have to <laughs> an otherwise like glowing experience um yeah. I, I, I could even see this being a bonus one day because I'm really interested in the story as well. Like it's fairly simple and they're having fun with archetypes. Like I just met a guy who's this like heavy set fellow with an eye patch who's very gruff and he's determined to kill a whale. I'm like, I wonder who this is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like the fact that you just put Captain Ahab in your in your Sky Pirate game is like such a brilliant decision. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. So yeah. this. I would I would highly recommend this game. I think it's going to be like one of my favorites by the time I'm done. Yeah, um, it's awesome. It's so cool. I'm excited to play a lot more of it. Um, it honestly, it was one of those things where like I was mentally preparing myself to pull myself away from Zelda to play this and then ended up dumping like three hours into it. And in once. Yeah, this is not a magician. This is literally the Incredibles came out at the same time. That's what it's like. <laughs> it's it's. And it's also weird. There's a weird similarity too. I mean, there's the Sky Islands for one. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like that first shrine, uh, the first like dungeon you go to in this game yeah. does feel a little Zelda. It's not like it does. 
It's it's the water temple. Yeah, essentially the first area you go to, like it's this flooded. It's also beautiful. Like the uh, anyway, you go to this like <laughs> shrine that's flooded, and the thing you're there to get is at the bottom. So you have to kind of go through and open various doors to kind of act like you know uh, drains for the water. And you know you'll kind of end up doing it just sort of by walking around. But it, it is just puzzly enough to kind of scratch that Zelda itch. Totally. In a way, I, I got flashbacks of the Final Fantasy X like puzzles where you like get the summons and my god did those suck <laughs> like I, I can't i i remember them fondly and then when i played that game again recently i was like these are bad mm-hmm. this is like this is like the worst lesson to take from zelda but yeah these <laughs> these puzzles are good um and i'm very excited to see just like what exists on the sidelines of this game like the the sense of um discovery and exploration is very very much present in skies of arcadia yeah it's amazing so. it's amazing how big this game is it's a two disker it's a two disker that's, that's so how you know it's good yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for now. More on that. More on the skies soon. Yeah. Uh, you, want, you want to move on? Yeah, let's take a break. And then uh, we'll move on to even more games. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. Steven, we're back. Hello. I turned on my PS5 this week to play a new video game. Wow. That I'm excited to talk to you about. Totally missed the lead up to this. I cannot wait to hear about it. Yeah, I truly didn't know that it was coming out so soon. This game is called Humanity. Uh, it's available on the PS5, PlayStation VR 2, which is wild. I didn't even realize that PS4 and also on PC via Steam. Uh, but it's by a studio called Enhance, which is made up of uh, a bunch of people who worked on the Tetris effect and Res uh, and a lot of these like kind of big experimental, very like, I would say, geometric and musically inclined video games. I would say they're also like the team that I think is most like I'm someone who doesn't really care a ton about VR but I want to see whatever they're doing in VR because I think they just like mm. I think their their goal as a as people who make video games is to kind of like have that audio and 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 visual experience and I feel like that that lends itself to VR very directly I think yeah they they are a team that I think knows how to create games that tap directly into your central nervous system and like overwhelm <laughs> yeah. it uh, with sights sounds colors uh, and and experiences that you've never had before I, we've we've talked about uh, the Tetris effect on here which. I we talked about this. I I didn't play when it came out, despite being like a huge Tetris fan um, and then played. I think it was last year at some point. Yeah. And just like completely fell head over heels in love with like uh, that game. I I beat in one sitting and then immediately plugged my switch into my uh, my capture card and then streamed the entire game again uh, right after beating it. Like I I just couldn't get enough of it. And I still honestly every once in a while before I go to bed, I'll just like reach over my switch. I'll play Tetris Effect a little bit again. It's it's unbelievable. I'm really excited for you to play Res 2 on the Dreamcast because that's like it's a very different experience. But I think if you like Tetris Effect, I think you'll love Res as well. Yeah. So the the thing about Tetris Effect and Res is that Res is kind of this um, over the shoulder is a weird way of putting it, but you have it's a this, rail shooter. Yeah it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a rail shooter kind of arcade score chase thing. Tetris, obviously arcade score chase thing. Uh, Humanity, their newest game, very much not that humanity is a puzzle game. And I feel like the, the most obvious comparison you can make in terms of like vibe, uh, is Katamari Damacy. Maybe is like the, is the closest analog I've ever felt 
to a Katamari game. Which that's very powerful for you to say, because as we've often discussed, there are two kinds of games. There's Tetris or Katamari. So now they've done both. Yes. Oh, that's a fucking great point. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh it's it's very it's very much in the realm of of a Katamari game, I think, in terms of like style and vibe. It's not as like overwhelmingly like colorful uh, and in your face as Katamari is. The way humanity works um, is you are a small glowing Shiba Inu. Uh, so you're just like a kind of a, you're a dog made of light um, and you've been given the ability to lead humanity uh, to ascension in some way, shape or form. Perfect. And the way that the way that that manifests itself in this game is there is a big white glowing door where just streams of people will come out like hundreds and hundreds of people will walk out of this glowing door um, and there will be a series of platforms floating in the sky and you need to uh, essentially herd them towards an end goal, which is a, a big glowing square on the ground where if enough people stand on it, they start to float into the sky. And there are obviously a lot of like hazards and traps that uh, come about. So like, okay, making sure that they don't fall into uh, a bottomless pit or making sure they don't walk directly into uh, like a fan that's blowing wind that will blow them off the edge or making sure they don't fall into uh, like a pool of water that if they swim through it, will just again, make them fall right off the edge or get crushed by blocks or whatever. Uh, There's like a billion ways that all these people can just, you know, essentially die. And you are given the ability to alter their movements via a bunch of what they call powers in the game, which is like if you if you bark, there's a bark button. If you bark and press in a certain direction, you essentially put an arrow on the ground, which will lead people in the direction that you barked. So if you want people when they like walk straight to eventually turn left before they hit a wall, you can bark and and push left on the analog stick and you will have a little left arrow that will be just kind of floating above that area. So when people hit that, they know to go left. Uh, so what you're essentially doing is creating a path for these people to walk through and like hoping that they don't die along the way. The thing that feels like Katamari to me about this game is specifically the like overwhelming sensation of both like guilt And also kind of like elation that you get when you just watch like hundreds and hundreds of people streaming off the edge of this floating sky platform, pummeling, you know, just like uh, falling to their to their imminent doom. Essentially, it just it just feels so scary the first time it happens where you're like, I must be punished in some way, shape or form for this. Like there's definitely going to be something that's going to say, I can't just let this stream of people who are, you know, sprinting out of the store just run off of the edge and die. Uh, but the game kind of gently nudges you and is like, this is fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> as long as you yeah, lead like people screaming and Katamari Damacy as the music is like, la, 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 Yes, la. exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's exactly like that. As the, the, the vibe is, as long as you lead humanity total to their end goal, everything will be okay. And you will lose people on the way. And obviously that sucks. But the the end goal is the thing that you should be focused on, which is dark uh, and also really fascinating um, and kind of will clue you into, I think, the beginning of what this game is trying to explore. And that's one of the things I think is so interesting about humanity is the video game uh, and I guess also the human race is (laughs) they are both creating an extremely compelling puzzle game. And on top of that, are really trying to say something about like the state of the human experience. Yeah. Um, And I don't want to say too much about how that is and how that is conveyed. But the further into the game you get, the more complex 
your power set becomes you know it's like i mentioned the ability to like drop arrows on the ground but there are also abilities like make people jump in the air or make people so light that when they jump in the air they'll uh, like float through the air there are a lot of abilities that uh, you won't see coming and there are a lot of situations that you won't see coming that will very clearly allude to different stages of the human experience and all of it is told via like puzzle game mechanics uh, and, yeah, and that, level that, design that's something that i really love about this team you know assuming that there's some crossover here like i think res and tetris effect are both really like really simple mechanics that somehow have some type of narrative happening yeah um especially with res like re, uh, not to spoil too much of it but like the last level of res goes through the evolution of life and awesome. then boils down to like an ai seeking to destroy itself and like even just that setup is like very heavy for a game that's usually just like isn't it cool to be in the matrix <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and the tetris effect also is a game that i would say explores like the beauty of living of like being yeah. a person living on on planet earth and and what a joyous experience it is to feel the good and bad of that uh and again all of that is explored just via playing tetris sights and sounds that's i think the central theme i i enjoy when you see a team that works on multiple projects and kind of see like what is sort of like the central kind of philosophy of all these games yeah what's and, driving the oeuvre yeah right the oeuvre and, mobile I think all three are interested in the fact that like to feel anything is a gift, like to yes. feel both pain and sorrow is akin to feeling joy and happiness and is part of life, which is ultimately a good thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like a very simple message, but it's like communicating that through music and through lights and through puzzles is like and through Tetris. <laughs> so cool. Through Tetris. Yeah. You're right. I, it, it blows me away every time. That's why I think when, you know, uh, I think there was a list recently of like the best video game stories. Um, and yeah, it's cool to look at that. And it's cool to see that a lot of there are a lot of games that are telling stories in ways like, like you know, A Last of Us is very similar to how stories are told in movies or TV. And, and then there are games that are more, you know, oh, the player has authorship over it, like Mass Effect or, or more kind of open-ended games. Mm -hmm. But then you have games like, you know, Res and Tetris Effect, and I would even, on, on a slightly different uh, end, put like Shadow of the Colossus, where it's like, these are games that are very comfortable giving you a, a almost minimalist experience that elicits these feelings. Yeah. And that to me is also narrative. And that is like, that can be just as powerful, if not more than a more scripted direct story. Yeah. And I, I think even when looking outside of the realm of video games, when I think about the stories that resonate the most, they usually come from the most simple origins in terms of what they're trying yeah. to elicit, like the vibe that they're trying to get across. I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is a great example of a movie that has like the most simple premise of all time, which is like being in love is wonderful and you should experience it and give it to others. Again, that, that's like that's as basic as it comes. But when it's executed well it becomes the, the kind of thing that wins best picture you know yeah um, right and and that's very much how i'm feeling about humanity at the moment uh at the point that i'm in uh i would say i'm probably like halfway into the game if i was to guess i'm i'm feeling like it's it's building up towards something that's gonna really like rock my ass the same way tetris affected uh <laughs> and the way i imagine res will eventually yeah which is really exciting just to know that like okay enhance studio is a is a studio i need to keep my eye on forever because anytime they release something it's probably going to be a banger or at least we'll say something interesting. Oh, yeah. And and humanity, humanity is is right alongside those games, I think, in terms of like their ability to just pull this off. Um, and from what I know, also, 
This game is by a new director who specifically has not directed any video games before. They were very similar to Katamari Damacy, actually, led by a graphic designer and like a like an artist first who was interested in the idea of making a video game and wanting to explore the kind of like player experience and the player emotion of of, of building a video game. Um, so weird uh, second Katamari connection there, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is this is their first outing as a game director and f- fucking nailed it, man. I mean, killed it. I learned that one of the lead developers of the original Xbox uh, was a bread maker. I mean, amazing. It was a baker. And that's what that's why the Xbox logo is a piece of sourdough. Did you know that? Really? <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if that's true. I might have just read that on Tumblr. It could be fake, but I think that that's true. This this is like that episode of Seinfeld when when Jerry tells Elaine that the original title of War and Peace is War. What is it good for? And she like fully <laughs> believes him. Yes. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna end up telling like Phil Spencer like you know like sourdough is actually the logo and he's like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but uh, another Dreamcast connection. This game in structure is very similar to Choo Choo Rocket, which I'm not sure if you've played yet. No. But that is a puzzle game by the Sonic team where there are a bunch of mice that kind of automatically go in a direction and kind of a maze. And you have to put down arrows to like funnel them in different directions and get them to a rocket ship before a big cat eats them. So similar (laughs) type of puzzle game, but like very different feelings involved. (laughs) Uh, But I think if you like this in just in terms of like raw mechanics, you might really like Choo Choo Rocket as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, soon up on my list because I'm currently in games that start with C. You're in for C games are pretty good because you're also going to get to Capcom versus SNK, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, A lot of fighting games. I'm excited to get to Um, my first real fighting game. That'll be good. Every fighting game on the Dreamcast is at least excellent. Like there is not, <laughs> there is not a stinker amongst them. Great. There's one called, I know I'm revealing a lot, but there's a Dreamcast fighting game called Project Justice that is like essentially a bunch of high schoolers enter a fighting tournament and they all fight based on what their like club in school is. So someone has like a violin, someone has like a tennis racket. This sounds it's, amazing. It's completely unhinged. So like that, that is like also great. Uh, there's stuff like Capcom vs. SNK, uh, m- more on this soon, but like I've, I've just been like, there's not a bad one in the mix. I would say overall, like um, Capcom vs. SNK 2 is definitely better than the first one, and Mar- Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is definitely better than the first one, but even the first entries are, are solid. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for you to maybe maybe get a greater interest in fighting games after playing the Dreamcast. Yeah, me too. Fighting games and racing games is what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Daytona, baby. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Before I just say every Dreamcast game, why don't we uh, move on to our next game? Should we take a break here, do you think? Sure. Why not? Yeah, let's do it. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) Play the beeps. Steven, just want to start this segment by saying that I was correct. Uh, I did not lie to you. A a man uh, who invented the Xbox also is a scientist and a baker. and, And the Xbox logo is actually a piece of sourdough. That's amazing. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's really... I never made the connection, but I can totally see it now. I yeah. can't unsee. That's like... A, there's all those George Lucas stories where like, yeah, the Millennium Falcon is like a hamburger that I had on my <laughs> desk. You know, like, what? Um, <laughs> ben Quaternaros was a shake and fries combo. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. You know what they say. He's a tall shake of whole milk. Oh. Uh, anyway. What game are you playing, Steven? <laughs> Just tell me. Get it over with. I received a gift. Uh, shout out to my friend Alan. Dare I say the patron saint 
of the DS. I actually mentioned Alan briefly in our DS episode because he was my friend in college, still my friend, but in college we uh, played a lot of DS together and he kind of showed me like all the all the hits um, that kind of planted the seed that eventually became that bonus that we did mm. uh, or that season premiere that we did. He sent me a gift from Tokyo, uh, which is a game called Os Tatakai Oindan. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sorry if I if I missed anything there. But essentially, this is the series that Elite Beat Agents spun off from. So uh, Oendan, I believe it's just called casually. That is a thing in Japan. So that is essentially the closest comparison would be cheerleading. It has the energy of like a marching band or of like more of a performance. So mm. like they're there to like get the crowd really riled up for for the sporting event. And also to potentially like taunt the other team. So it's almost like a combination of like the mascots job, cheerleaders and like the marching band for, for a Western comparison. But it's it's kind of interesting that so like this game, for those who don't know Elite Beat Agents, essentially the premise of Elite Beat Agents is there are three secret agents whose job it is to like dance away people's problems. So like uh, the beginning, the first mission of Elite Beat Agents is this teenage girl invited over the quarterback and she wants to ask him out, but then she's suddenly tasked with babysitting. So she screams out to help and the Elite Beat Agents show up and help her out through dance to the song Walkie Talkie Man. <laughs> incredible intro incredible game Elite agents was one of our favorites on the ds what's interesting is that it feels like so it was what Elite agents was sort of a attempt to kind of localize oindan to a western audience but i thought they almost made it more complicated in, in concept because oindan is essentially just similar idea someone is in trouble they ask for for help of the Oendan members and they just show up and cheer on the person because that's what that team would do in real life. Hmm. Of course, it's like more fantastic because they're like cheering on a horse in a horse race or like a kid playing dodgeball to impress the girl he likes. Yeah. Um, worth noting, this game is completely in Japanese. It's not translated. <laughs> it was not localized. But if there's any game you can play without knowing the language it's in, it's this one because it's just tapping numbers on a screen awesome. um, and, and the power of music. Um, <laughs> But it, it just it's just funny to me where it's like there's a direct like it's not a hard pitch just to be like, OK, these are like essentially cheerleaders rooting for people through song to make them secret agents and like have it be like a men in black type thing is like a brilliant choice. But also so funny to me that that's the direction they went in for the U.S. Anyway, very similar game plays almost the same. Dare I say, I think it's better. I think it's better than Elite Beat Agents. Oh, shit. One, I just think the difficulty curve is a little bit more gradual. Elite Beat Agents kind of throws you in the deep end right away and is like very punishing. Yeah. In a way that I think kind of almost gets in the way of the joyous, very Katamari vibe of it. Totally agree. Yes. This game is still tricky, but I found it to be because it's also worth noting this is the first one in the series. There are, I believe, two Oindan games, and the second one also never came out in the US. Mm. Um, I really want to play that one day. Elite Beat Agents is the one we got. So this is the first one, and I think because of that, maybe they wanted to like teach the concepts a little bit more gradually. I also just think it's the better soundtrack. Like it's a lot of really great Japanese bands. Mm. And I think it I think it still might be covers. I I do appreciate the sort of time capsule of like Good Charlotte and Walkie Talkie Man and, and you Avril know, Lavigne and Hoopa stuff. Stank and Avril Lavigne. Yeah. There are some classic hits like Cher and Bowie and stuff, but like a lot of it is like what was popular in like the mid aughts. 
um, I feel like the soundtrack for Oindun, maybe because I have less direct experience with it, but it just feels more timeless. It feels like the music is like less of that specific era. And I just really love the aesthetic of it. I love the sense of humor. It's awesome. I, I wish we got it in the US, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I got my hands on it now. So thank you, Alan, for sending it to me. And uh, I would highly recommend playing it in some way. If you liked Elite Beat Agents, it's awesome. I uh, would highly recommend. So that's that's that game. I'm going to do that. I'm going to play yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You, you will love it. I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I really like Elite Beat Agents. I think that was also in my top 10. I think it was like number seven oh, yeah. or eight or something. Uh, I think it was also our in our five for the show overall. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was amongst there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I gotta I gotta check that game out. It's also I think. Do you, okay, here's a question yeah. we get asked all the time, and I'll, I'll I'll throw it at you. Would you replace Elite Beat Agents with with Owen Don on our list? Like, if you could go back and do it again, like say you had played it. Also, <sighs> that's a really tough question. I they're kind of. I mean, I I think I. I it might just be because it's new and it's fresh that I'm like, it might be a little better. I would have to like revisit both to really know. It's awesome to have recency bias for the first game in the franchise yeah. that is way older than the one that we had on there. I, I, I feel that. good about one of them being there. So I, I don't know if I would like yeah, say it definitively just needs like representation at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm really glad to see more of this series because this is this is sort of like like Nintendo has a lot of like one and done franchises, you know, codename Steam. Yeah. This is kind of an awkward middle ground. Like it was it did well. People loved it. And it, it had three games and then it was just done. And like as much as I would love to see Elite Beat Agents or Wendon come back in some capacity, it does feel so tethered to the DS in structure that I don't really know. I guess you could maybe do it on iPad. But even then, I think it, it really was made with the two screens in mind and the touch controls. Yeah, like the, this this style of rhythm game specifically has taken on a new life specifically on PC. Um, like you could go on Twitch and watch people playing this kind of stuff all the time specifically yeah. as games where you can like load in your own music and it'll like yeah. kind of just like beat saber kind of yeah it'll like figure out in the background like how you can uh how you can uh play along to it but that said i i there's something about playing it on the ds that really really rocks yeah i feel like it's also the sense of humor is working even better for me because like the members of eba were were very like fun and, and silly characters yeah the members of oindon are like not fucking around they're very serious which i think is in stark contrast oh, to just what's happening around them and yeah. also like the fact that they just like show up immediately ready to go it's really it's a really fun almost like sports anime kind of thing where they're yeah. taking something that exists and like really heightening it which is perfect because that's the job of a real wendon team is to like really heighten and get people pumped up so like applying that goal to a game where you're just helping people with like mundane everyday problems in like the most dramatic way possible it's perfect it's a perfect video game yeah. i love it i will also say i if i am remembering the era correctly this is also like around the time when now that's what i call music is like a huge deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was around the same time as like the buzz ballads commercial too like where it'd be like yeah 24.99 for 30 cds yeah. i can feel it coming yeah uh, <laughs> God, that commercial's etched into my brain. We're like, we're like in this era where uh, music compilations specifically are like the hottest shit in the world. It's like you would go to your local bookstore or like CD store because it still existed and and buy. Now that's what I call music because it's like, oh, bang for my buck! I'm getting all the hits on one CD. Or you could buy Oendon and get all the hits, but covers of them. Yeah, this is 2005, so like we're definitely like the era of Napster is like kind of still around and like uh, LimeWire and stuff 
Uh, and I think the iPod is out, but it's not, it hasn't like fully replaced CDs yet. Like MP3s kind of exist alongside CDs. I use, I, <laughs> I use CD, like I bought CDs way past I should have. Like I stopped in like 2014 and I was like, what am I doing? I need to just get Spotify, I guess. <laughs> Although, you know, there's a way to support artists more directly, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I, I think you're going to love this game if you can get your hands on it somehow. Yeah, I'll play it. Uh, should we take a break? One more break? Let's take a break and then come back with our last game. Uh, it, it will be a Zelda update, and I think we're going to go into more detail. So if you do want to skip that in fear of, of some spoilers, yeah. uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Otherwise, stick around and we'll talk more about Hyrule. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if we mentioned that, actually. That might be the one thing we miss at the top, but we're going to be still doing episodes through the rest of May. We're just taking June and July off, so... So like there's this week's episode and then another one uh, and then and then, and then thousand year door the thousand year door bonus. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm excited about. Um, yeah. So yeah, well, we're you can't get rid of us just yet. We just thought we'd let you know now that way. You know. <laughs> cool. Let's take a break. See ya. Now, that's what I call Zelda. <laughs> we're back. I was going to say the, the magician has taken a bow. Everyone, everyone loved it. Uh, saw it in half doves out of the hat. 10 out of 10. Yeah. But now we're in the sea. We're finding Nemo. It's Zelda time. Yeah. It's time for Albert Brooks to take the stage. <laughs> is he? Is he? Is I always he forget he's in Taxi Driver. Yeah, it is Albert Brooks. Yeah. Okay. Great. Actor. Marlin. Anyway, he's Marlin Mar the clownfish. <laughs> Looking for my son. Uh, speaking of my son. <laughs> I don't know. That was so funny. Speaking of my son, <laughs> I have finished. Uh, heads up. We're going to be talking a little bit more. Spoilers you better not here. say I finished The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. No, I finished The Wind Temple, oh, okay. speaking of my son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I just want to say that Tulin is maybe one of my favorite new Zelda characters. Oh, yeah. Um, I know he was in Breath of the Wild, but I love his role in this game. Oh, yeah. You're going to love the other ones. Yeah, I, I'm sure I will. I guess. So what do you where do you want to start? Like, do you want to maybe talk about like so for context, I uh, for those who maybe haven't gotten this far or like need a, a framing device, like the game is sort of set up similarly to Breath of the Wild, where at the beginning of that game, Impa's like, hey, there are four divine beasts. If you awaken all four of those, we might have a chance to fight Ganon. Um, and then in this game, uh, Pura is like, there are four weird things going on. Maybe you should check them out. Maybe, maybe go here first. Uh, and that area is uh, Rito Village where you do uh, the Wind Temple. Um, which is exhilarating it's like yeah. it's like one of the coolest most like shadow of the colossus spectacle moments uh yeah in the game i, I think is, that i've experienced so far i i really like now that i've completed it i i think they found a really nice way to fuse the spectacle of the divine beasts with sort of the 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 um catharsis of doing a zelda dungeon like yeah. it still doesn't feel quite as like like it's still open in the way the divine beasts are where you're kind of navigating like it, the first the wind temple was like a big ship like a ghost ship in in the sky yeah it's so cool um and it, it has a similar approach to a lot of the shrines where like the solution to puzzles is still kind of kind of open to interpretation but the sort of solid thing is like you have to find all the gears and like have tulin blow a gust of wind to activate them uh revealing a boss fight that is so such a cool boss fight. Yes. Um, huge step up. Like that's, I think the, the most noticeable thing is like the bosses and the divine beast are like, fine. They're, I think the bosses you would find in the wild 
were way more fun than like the random forms of Ganon. Yes, um, I totally agree. Yeah, this beast is again like Shadow of the Colossus level exciting. You fight the whole fight in the sky. Uh, yeah, the, the, whole, music, the whole point of the fight is that you're not allowed to touch the ground the whole time. Yeah, which is exhilarating. There's something really beautiful and sad about the sages in Ocarina of Time. You know, it, you, you as an adult have to go back to all these places that meant a lot to you as a kid. And you, you reconnect with these people that were that were, you know, very, very like uh, key people in your childhood and seeing what they mean to you now and also kind of losing them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was always so heartbreaking. Like it, there was a lot of catharsis there, but it was also like you all you're really met with is like the potential It's like the potential of a, a lover or a friend or, you know, a family. Yeah. Um, you're kind of just seeing in real time what link could have had, which is what makes that game so heartbreaking. Whereas in this game, you know, it's revealed after you do the first temple again, spoilers that Tulin is the sage of wind. Uh, and you're kind of greeted by his, it's very avatar reminded me a lot of, of, Oh of yeah. Airbender. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, where you're met with the ancestor uh, and basically there's like a passing on of like, I'm the sage of wind. Now you are, here's a cool stone that will activate your power. Um, And, and fighting alongside the sage and like in this game, it's not someone you're losing, but someone you're connecting with. Like, so like, again, I think connecting things and people is like the main crux of the game, which is why people are comparing it to death stranding so often. Yeah. Um, I have way more to say about that later. Yeah, there there is a part of the map I saw where out of the depths are like weird, gooey like extensions that are grabbing the islands in the sky, and I'm like, this is just BT shit. This is like so <laughs> yeah. visually Death Stranding. Um, but that that moment really moved me, and I think now now I have the Fire Emblem Engage ring of Tulin's friendship. So even though Tulin's hanging out in Rito Village, I can summon the like spirit of Tulin and he'll just follow me everywhere and I get the gust ability. It's so cool to have like it's not someone I've lost but someone I've gained. Yes. And this I, is I, am, I think that yeah. one of the things that I think you're going to love even further into the game um but I'm at the point now where I've done 3 of the 4 dungeons or at least 3 of the 4 dungeons that I know of. Um I yeah. still I still suspect there's cuz every time that cutscene happens and Link adds another ring to his hand, there's a spot that uh, I think there's a spot for a fifth one. So I'm excited to find out like where that fifth one is, who is it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I have guesses. I don't want to say what they are just in case I'm right. Um, but I'm at three of the four now, which means I have three spirit companions running around with me and you can use all of their abilities whenever you want. Oh, that's awesome. Which is amazing. And you can, you can go into a menu and turn them on and off. Like if you want the more breath of the wild, solitary kind of Zen like experience running around Hyrule, like you could easily go for that. Um, but there's something so interesting about, I think the, the difficulty of this game at the top that you and I talked a lot about last week, you know, before we had gone into dungeons, before we had gotten like Tulin as a spirit uh, guide or whatever. And, and now where I'm at in the game where I have three companions, I'm rolling deep with at all times who are specifically there to like draw aggro away from enemies Tulin's whole thing is that he has a bow that immediately crit shots anyone he shoots. So anything that's coming after you, if Tulin decides that he also wants to attack it, they will immediately get laid out and you can just wail on them with with a with your sword or whatever. Um, I don't want to give away the other two, but they are similarly like 
first of all, amazing just in combat, just like cool to have around just in terms of like being able to run up and like smack an enemy in the face. But also their abilities in combat are similarly disruptive. And what that means is that the difficulty of the game is actually ratcheting down the more connections you make with people like the the world itself becomes a place that's easier to tame the more connections you make. And that's so beautiful and just aids thematically what I think this game is going for on the whole. Um, even more so than I even anticipated when we were talking about like picking up the loose threads of that early on with, you know, Pura saying like, hey, go help out these uh, go help out these four regions. Also, there's this village that's being attacked by pirates. And also there's this and also there's this like all of these little bits and bobs story wise that are just like little almost like crumbs of the idea of like, you know, connection and the help of others will help us through crisis. Um, but literally finding that the game itself becomes easier, the more of those connections you make is also really interesting because there, there's an aspect of it, obviously that comes from like just a mastery of the game. I think I'm like 50 hours in at this point. Um, there's like a, a piece of it that comes from just like, well, I've been playing the game for 50 hours, so obviously I'm better than when we started. But I've found that having the ability to like look over at tool and be like, hey, man, blow that guy off this cliff is sick. You know, like if yeah. I'm fighting somebody <laughs> at the top of a cliff and I'm just like, whoop, and then just shoot a big gust of wind and he goes flying and dies it's like, cool, that's one less enemy I have to worry about right now. And the game becomes easier. That by itself, I think is brilliant. Like that, that was a completely unanticipated an advantageous uh, addition, in my opinion, um, that I, th- I think really helps. I I will say, just doubling down on the thing I mentioned last week, uh, and I, I was a little bit iffy about kind of following through on it, but now I feel like really like the fire's under my ass, is the story is compelling enough that I want to finish it, and I'm picking up enough threads of a larger idea about the story that I really like, I I have to see through like I, at this point I'm like, I'm actually beelining my way to the end. Like I just did the third dungeon. I was going to leave them. I was going to leave them until like way later and like do them way later, kind of take my time, like bouncing around the world and doing a bunch of side quests and stuff, which I've been doing for the most part, but I'm at the point right now where I really want to like finish the main quest and then I can do the side stuff later because I'll, I'll, I'll give two shout outs. One uh, to Ash Parrish, who was on DLC last week, which is a show that you were on this week. As of yeah. this episode coming out, that episode will be out already. We're recording tomorrow, so I will be on talking about Zelda. Talking well. about Zelda, yeah, which is so yeah. exciting. Uh, so <laughs> go listen fun. to that. Um, but the week the week before that, also listen to that one because Ash Parrish uh, from, from The Verge was on uh, talking specifically about, I think, the treatment of Zelda in this game, which I think is like one of the major knocks that I have against the game. And I, w- I won't really go into specifics. I know you haven't seen some of this stuff. But I think the treatment of Zelda, like on the whole, both in terms of like just the way the game opens, which we did talk about, which is like you're kind of hanging out with her in this dungeon. She's taking pictures of stuff. She's so excited. You have this moment where it's like, oh, my God, this is the first game where I get to hang out with Zelda. She's going to be a character. She's going to be around. Then immediately she blips out of time and you don't see her again. It's like that's a bummer. That's like definitely that's definitely a bummer. I feel like we're far enough into this franchise that specifically is taking such huge swings between Breath of the Wild and now that like. give this girl some agency like let her like fight alongside me like let me play as her like something more than just being you know somebody who needs to be found which i think is a little bit of a bummer i think she definitely has some stuff that she's doing in the story but i i don't i'm not a huge fan of where it ended up as far as i've seen which is one of the reasons i want to finish the game because i'm like i i hope I'm I'm hoping that they've left the door open for some kind of swerve outside of what I think is like the ending of her story right now in this game. 
I, th- I think it's worth going and listening to that episode of DLC just to hear kind of Ash break that down because I, I, I found myself like really nodding along in agreement. Um, I, I would say if you finish the Dragon Tears stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, that that is very much like where a lot of that story is kind of elucidated and you'll really you'll really clock like what the game is trying to do with Zelda. Um, so that's worth checking out. The other podcast I want to shout out is Bad End, which I found myself, I was driving uh, back from a doctor's appointment the other day and I found myself in the car, like screaming out loud, like, yes, 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 yes. They get it. They get it because they, they went really deep in this idea that this game is, uh, and this is, they say this and I'll say this also, People say this a lot, and I think it it kind of gets scoffed at. I think it's really true in this case specifically. Um, This game to me really feels like it's going after kind of the feeling that we all have post pandemic and like in the I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but like post quarantine, I would say. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Death Stranding feels that way, but Death Stranding was made before all that happened. Like, (laughs) yeah, this is a game that was like crucially in development while quarantine happened, while the pandemic was like hitting its peaks while the world yeah. was kind of like falling apart around us and we we were left in this space of like complete uncertainty uh, a real quote unquote upheaval i would say um and uh the the hosts over at bad end were talking about how it relates to this article it's fascinating that's called the perma weird um which is about this state where like crisis after crisis after crisis continues to happen in society and it's getting to a point where it's like ballooning past what we as like collective people can really uh, overcome like we're, we're in this state where it feels like there's there's no end to the crises that continue to happen um which is fascinating totally worth listening to that uh, because they break that down and like the 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 i guess pros and cons of that kind of thinking uh more the cons i would say which is i think what this game is really kind of pointing at specifically and i i i'm really starting to pick that up the more i play the game as soon as i clocked like oh yeah this game was in development during the pandemic suddenly i'm seeing the pandemic everywhere. Suddenly I'm seeing the like global crisis everywhere. I mean, the upheaval by itself is obvious, you know, in itself, but the idea of gloom spreading throughout the land, the idea of everybody that you're talking to being like, I don't know what's happening and I don't know what to do with myself. Like even smaller conversations, like you'll find somebody like with a broom at a stable who's sweeping and is like, I, why am I doing this? I don't even know why I'm here. Like continuing my job as if nothing nothing is happening in the world like or even being connected by spirit but not like they're not directly there with the sages fucking you know? great point yeah, I, yeah it's just like the more you look for it the more apparent it yeah. becomes and i think it's That's one true. of those things where i i don't know how literal it is like i i think there's a there's a piece of me that wants to believe that it's in the text like that that it is an intentional decision that they made there's another piece of me that's like this is nintendo and this is the zelda team and all of these games are are coming at the world from really abstracted viewpoints because what they're trying to do is elicit this idea of like myth and vibe and legend literally um but you can't discount the fact that the people who wrote the story were experiencing the pandemic at the time you can't discount the fact that this stuff probably seeped into whatever they were writing either consciously or subconsciously and the more you start looking for it in this game the more you start to find it one one little side quest that i i'm not going to totally spoil but i think is one of the weirder ones that i i clocked while i was you know mulling this over is um there's there's a bit of the game where you have to sneak into the hideout of the yiga clan who are 
the uh the like ninjas wearing red from the first game who eat bananas and and like can teleport all over the place um there's a there's a little side quest where uh you have to like build one of their uniforms for yourself and then try and sneak into their into i got their mask recently which i was very happy to get yeah i love great side quest really fun um but when you find their hideout specifically there's a guy who's like outside the door of the hideout who's like hey i really want to get in here and they're like you don't even have a uniform you don't seem to know how to fight like i don't know why you're here and he's like i don't know my mom told me to get out of the house and i just like needed something to do uh but you know I, this is clearly not working out for me i guess i'll like go try and find a costume or something uh but i'm gonna go home first and i ran into that guy again and he while he was walking around the the thing that uh npcs do as they walk around is sometimes they'll have like a little speech bubble above their head that's like what they're just kind of muttering to themselves as they're walking around the world and then you can talk to them and have like an actual dialogue but what he said was i just want to be popular and i had this moment where i was like this is like this intentionally or not i was immediately thinking of like the jordan peterson uh uh what's his name fucking andrew tate like youtube rabbit hole of like right-wing nightmare people where i'm like this is a guy who is like trapped in his house with his mom because he's because of this fucking upheaval that has happened the gloom that's spreading around the world and he's decided that the only thing he can do to like prove his worth to himself is to become popular by joining literally the bad guys. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I was like, fuck, this is, again, intentionally or not, like the seeds are all there for that story, which we're seeing play out in real life over and over and over again. And here it is as just one little NPC I happened to run into twice in the world. The more you look for it, the more the more apparent it becomes. And that that is one of the things that I'm finding most interesting about this game outside of like what it's trying to do, you know, just as a Zelda game is I, I think like, narratively it's reaching higher than any of these games ever have and i think that that's really 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 interesting even if you remove that entire read of it what it's going for is still fascinating the idea of connection the idea that like you know uh forging paths alongside other people will will help us through this the idea that like one person is strong enough to make a difference like all of that stuff is really beautiful and powerful actually gets back to what we were talking about with humanity which is like you know even the simplest ideas executed well will have really like resonant meaning in people um and that's that's what i'm getting out of the game um but it's it's connections to like the current state of the world i think can't be ignored also yeah, that's really fascinating to hear. I mean, I, uh, I I think back to a question we were asked in our Ocarina of Time bonus, where someone said, like, how intentional do you think some of this story is? Because, you know, I think they're right. The, the storytelling in Ocarina is a specific sweet spot of like the more very open, indirect fable like approach to old Zelda games. And then maybe the more direct narrative that we've gotten in more modern releases. Yeah our opinion was that it feels intentional because a lot of people walk away feeling a similar thing. But the thing about Ocarina is that it's intentional. Like the mood of it and the direction of it is very intentional. The, the, the more concrete details are like what you think the game is about can be interpreted pretty openly. And that to me is the sign of good storytelling. And I think tears of the kingdom might hit differently in different times. You know, if the game is about, connection and about what to do during a crisis uh our current read on it in a in a very i mean i don't, I don't want to say post pandemic but like post quarantine is maybe a better term you know that read it might carry more weight now than maybe it might be a little bit different down the road the same way that i think that's one of the reasons majora's mask i think has aged so well and why so many people still 
talk about that game and, and have wild interpretations of that game because it's so strong in atmosphere and in theme, but is open to interpretation. Yeah. If anything, I think this game is is the most it has the most like scenes. It has the most like dialogue and direct storytelling. Absolutely. In some ways it feels almost more like a Final Fantasy game than Zelda. <laughs> and just in terms of like what's and everyone has like a secret superpower. It's great. Um <laughs> but uh it is interesting how that they've taken that approach. And I, I could actually see that being kind of divisive for people, for some people who maybe prefer the more like looser approach. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely like a more like sit down and watch a cutscene style of narrative. Yeah. That's um, kind of what think, you and I were talking about yeah. last week, right? Where, where it's a kind of one step forward for the people who wanted a more traditional Zelda game and one step backwards. This is just yet another way of of digging into that where it's like one step forwards, you still got your temples, you still got your dungeons, you still have your big, uh, exciting boss battles, which are maybe bigger and more exciting than they've ever been before. And then one step backwards in that the story is really being told to you. There's a little bit less room for interpretation and wiggle room than there has been in the past. Yeah, at least for the direct narrative. And yeah. I'm really curious. I mean, I've heard I've only gathered four of the 13 memories i think there are mm-hmm. like over a dozen maybe there are 18 i'm not yeah, sure th- there's either 12 or 13 my friend who has gathered all of them was like if you told me what it was building up to i wouldn't have believed you so i'm like really curious what's going i've, I've I already had the same things yeah yeah circling back a bit to you're talking about um the treatment of zelda in this game i do agree i do think it is a little bit of a bummer that we're we're still kind of beholden to Zelda being somewhat in distress always. I, I wouldn't say she's like as in need of saving. It, 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 at least based on the memories I've seen, it seems like she's having her own story kind of alongside Link's in a kind of a separate world. Um, and I actually really enjoyed one of the things I love about Breath of the Wild is that if you get all the memories and then watch the finale, that whole story is about Zelda. Yes. And it really does feel like Zelda is actually more of the main character than Link. It kind of feels totally like agree. Yeah. Link and Ganon are two opposing forces and Zelda is the determining factor. Yeah. Um, whereas here, going back to connection and, and you know, friendship, basically, more of a sense of ensemble. It, it feels like Zelda is the other main character alongside Link and we're getting like peeks into what her world is like. I... I, I'm really curious to see how that plays out, but I do agree. I mean, I think the it's been cool to see Zelda become more and more of a character. Like we got shades of that in Ocarina, where yeah, spoilers. But there's the reveal that she was Sheik, which I think was like a huge like you know before then. I think Zelda was really just a damsel in distress. Yeah, you know there might have I, I don't remember the exact character in Link to the Past, but like Zelda was sort of a a a almost a MacGuffin as a character. Ocarina, we got a sense of of who she is. And then got a sense of her power and ability as Sheik. Um, and then since then, uh, I mean, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, I think both have had really delightful spins on the character. And I, Skyward Sword, not my favorite Zelda, but I love Zelda in Skyward Sword. I think she's like a really fun. That's a confusing sentence, but I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that depiction of her. And she feels like a, like if I, if I were to see a scene between Breath of the Wild Zelda, Skyward Sword Zelda, and like, you know, Wind Waker, Zelda, three extremely different characters. Totally. Which I think is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, and I, I think the Breath of the Wild Zelda has seemingly resonated with the most people. I like that they kind of focused, like if she is the personification of wisdom, it makes sense. She's like a nerdy archaeologist. Yeah. And I love that approach. Yeah. 
Um, She's such a, like, it's such a delightful way of interpreting that character for that world. It's yeah, really, really great. And she, and she, to be fair, is great for a lot of this game. Um, I've, I've just seen some stuff in the story that has really disappointed me. I, I, yeah, I will that's say. a bummer to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think um, it's like the, the, the one really like kind of dark mark on the game for me. Um, again, this is a, it's the greatest of all time. It's, it's so fucking good. Like I. I <laughs> I just I just hope that we don't have to keep saying that over and over again. I hope people know that like this is coming from a place of like this is one of the best games ever made. And, you know, there's like maybe one thing that's wrong with it. Um, yeah, right. But, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty apparent thing, specifically because I think it's a little bit of a deviation from what we saw in Breath of the Wild, where I, I love I that characterization of her and, and, and the direction it goes in this game is definitely a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I will also say one of the funnier things, uh, our friend Dom tweeted this out, but, uh, it was something to the effect of like, it's really funny that everyone was upset about the divine beasts in breath of the wild, not being dungeons. And they just changed the name of divine beast to temple in this game. And now everyone's happy. Now, <laughs> and I didn't really understand that tweet when I first saw it. And then I started thinking about it. And again, sorry to spoil a little bit, but, um, the, the other dungeons are structured similarly to the wind one where it's like you walk in and a voice tells you, hey, there's like five locks that you need to unlock uh, and, and then you can fight the boss. Um, and the ways in which you make your way around those dungeons and the puzzle solving that happens therein are, are completely different from Dungeon to Dungeon, just to be totally clear. Like they are completely different locales, completely different ways of even like opening those locks. Like it's all very specific to the temple. But when you take a step back, it's like, oh, yeah, this is kind of the divine beast all over again in terms of like just kind of building a similar structure. But they all end with just unbelievable boss fights. Yeah, I think the, the bigger issue with the divine beast is that they all function the same way. Yeah, but they had some different differences here and there, but they were all like manipulate the space of the place to like get to various rooms. Right. Um, And they felt a little bit underwhelming after a while, whereas I think even just like the lead up visually to the wind temple is like one of my favorite moments in a zelda game Yo, the, you know the gerudo one is ridiculous like the I, yeah. I love the wind temple i think that one is amazing there's a reason a lot of people are like pointing at that one being like this is incredible um the gerudo one uh without saying too much turns into like a strategy game for a bit uh <laughs> just for just uh, for fun wait. um yeah and is exhilarating and i think you're gonna love it uh the goron one obviously also great um it's all good I'm, I'm i'm heading over to the zora domain right now for the first time which will be exciting to see i'm i'm interested in the fact that we're not seeing really any remnants of the first game in this one uh, we talked about this a little bit last week but like a lot of the sheikah tech is gone outside of the towers having the like guardian arms um i'm wondering if there's like a story reason if the gloom when it like disintegrated all the weapons also destroyed the sheikah tech or i also heard another read that um I forget where I saw this, but I, I saw another read that uh, the like first thing that happened after Breath of the Wild was Zelda and Link and team went and just kind of destroyed all the Sheikah tech. So if Ganon never came back or if somebody else ever decided they wanted oh. to be evil, like they could never use it in a negative way sense. again, which I think yeah. is really almost like nuclear disarmament, um, yeah. which is really interesting. It's an interesting idea. Uh, but, you know, now you have all the Zonai stuff, so whoops whoops <laughs> <laughs> i uh i think it's also interesting i'm curious to see if maybe uh talking to paya more has any information on that um yeah i i love the reveal again spoiler for uh kakariko village um but getting there and seeing paya is in charge and she has like a hot boyfriend i'm like this is amazing i love this <laughs> i haven't really seen more of that quest but i was like that was one of the moments where i'm like i'm glad i checked in on this place because it's already 
like there's been a little bit of a plot development here with just these two characters. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I will also say one, one of the more exciting things about this game for me has been as somebody who really loves Tarrytown and loved that quest, there's like 15 Tarrytowns in this game. Um, <laughs> I, I think more spe- like the, the easiest ones to, to note would be the four regional phenomenon that you have to fix in the Rito village and the Gerudo and the Gorons and the Zora. Um, cause all of those cities, when you visit them are like, as, as we mentioned last week, totally rocked by some kind of like ecological disaster that's happening. Um, and when you clear that up and beat the dungeon, then they're like back to normal and they're beautiful again. And you can- I was about to say, it's really, it's so nice to like really feel the differences my action made yeah. in the world. Like, it's weird that you don't see that a ton. It's actually something I really loved about Tales of Arise is like, oh yeah, similar kind of thing where they're like zones and there's like a bad guy per zone. And you can see how the world has kind of changed after you have dethroned the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, like the first area, especially you can just see people like enjoying their freedom. Like I remember there's someone that's laying on the ground. Like, thank God, like my life is different now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and seeing Rito village kind of get a new life to it. And, uh, it's beautiful. It's it's really cool. There's almost a tragedy and there's almost an aware there's almost like an undertale awareness of time loops to Majora's Mask where like you don't get that feeling. You know, you you clear out an area and then you have to reset time to keep playing. Mm-hmm. So you never get to permanently enjoy the fruits of your of your labor. Right. Like you always have to see like everyone forget you and forget what you did to save that place, which is so sad. Yeah. Um, brutal. And that almost, uh, again, like talk about, you know, tears of the kingdom being in response to, uh, quarantine potentially, uh, Majora's mask, I think is like the stress of following what people immediately were calling the greatest game of all time. Like, how do you follow that? Totally. You know, seeing reading Majora's mask, wind waker and twilight princess as like three different approaches to being a sequel, to Ocarina mm-hmm. is a really fascinating lens to view those games. Absolutely. Yeah. One is like the panic attack of following it up and really like making that the art. One is like, let's set it far in the future and really think about like what it means to live in the world post Ocarina and like that being sort of the legend of history. And then Twilight Princess is maybe a more direct sequel trying to like actually capture the vibe of that first game. Yeah, what if, and- what if it was that, but you were a dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the question that no one dared to ask yeah um Uh, yeah i i uh i i'm really excited to see more of this game and i imagine we'll probably do a full bonus on like the full story i gotta i gotta talk about it more like i i'm I'm like really i'm withholding so much the other thing i wanted to ask you about which is how much time you spent in the depths because man i'm i'm in the depths all the time now i've been kind of giving myself an even distribution so i finished the wind temple and then i was like, okay now i'm just gonna explore a little bit so i've sort of been slowly unlocking more of the map um i would say i had like about like two-thirds of the map unlocked cool um and in that time i i kind of go up and down like i'll do a shrine uh the last shrine i did was actually in the sky there was a device that looked like the death star that i fell yes, into i know that i know uh, which one you're talking about I, put a bunch of Zonai charges into the Gachapon machine and I got a skateboard. And I'm like, this, this rules. Like, <laughs> if someone told me one day in Zelda, you can fall into the death star and get a skateboard. I'd be like, that's fucking rad, dude. <laughs> um, but yeah, the depths I, I've, I've like, they are s- genuinely scary. Yes. Like it, it is, it is effective to like go into the depths and like immediately be met with like, it almost was like the deep sea. 
there's something like inherently alien about it. Totally. Um, but I, I went into the depths and I found like a Yiga hideout where I got a Yiga schematic. Yeah, that stuff is uh, cool. And I'm not, I'm not sure who to bring that to or what it does. Um, but it seems like almost a, a, another kind of thing you can build. Yeah. My, my lips are sealed on that front. Um, <laughs> but you'll be excited. I think when you figure that out, um, I, I think what I'm, what I'm learning to love about this game specifically is kind of what you're describing, which is, which is the, the almost symbiosis of going through all three of the tiers of, of the kingdom, uh, at any given time <laughs> dude. To, <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm loving, I'm loving going down into the depths, having, you know, 50 or 60 light blooms in my inventory and like running around and throwing them all and, uh, kind of slowly, but surely running out of my stock of stuff that I can use to continue traversing the depths and then going back up to the surface and like spending, you know, the next like five or six hours on the surface going in caves and getting more light bloom, but also kind of stocking up on new resources, doing some side quests, things like that going up into the sky for a little while, getting some more Zonai stuff as you were just talking about from the, the Gachapon machines then being like, oh yeah, I've like stocked up on all the stuff I need to keep going back down to the depths. Then you go back down to the depths and you're down there for like three or four hours. Like that kind of cycle of preparation that happens almost subconsciously is really, really, really special. I think it almost gets to the heart of what people really loved about like the Witcher three, for example, like getting, getting really like into the idea of preparing for a specific fight that you were going to do in the Witcher yeah. three, like you're getting that almost, almost, uh, passively in this game, as you continue to make your way through each of the three levels of the game, um, you're accidentally preparing yourself to take on another one, which I think is really interesting. It almost they feed into each other. Well, because a lot of the stuff you get in the depths are like essentially currencies for in the sky. Like you get a lot of the Zonai like, yeah, or, and stuff or you get bomb flowers, which are like super helpful for pretty much ev right. everything. Like that's really the only place where you can get them. Like it's the best place to get bomb flowers as you continue to make your way through there. Like you'll start to run into enemies that are absolutely horrifying that you're like, there's no way I can take this thing on now. And then that's your cue to, you know, go up to the top and, uh, you know, hang out in Hyrule for a little bit before you make your way back down. I think one of the biggest lessons that Elden Ring and now Tears of the Kingdom have taught both players and developers is like there is weirdly fun and running away in total fear. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's like sometimes the game needs to like explicitly tell you like you should run from something. Yeah. So there are some things that aren't worth your time. But then if you do like, it's kind of like Lionel's. I think uh, breath of the wild did a great job. Really? Like whenever you ran into a Lionel, you knew like, Oh, this enemy one looks very intimidating. Yeah. They're usually like by themselves. Like you can usually spot them from far away right. so the game kind of invites you like you can either book it or you can be like okay now is the time do i have enough to fight a lionel yeah uh and i i i don't know i haven't run into a lionel in this game but I, now i heard they're in the, the game i also haven't found a single one yet but i've heard that yeah there. i i imagine i mean because there are more lionel likes in this game i feel mm. like there are more enemies that are like akin to the fear and and awesomeness of a lionel yeah i think the gleox are the like you know, almost poster child for that. Right. They're the three headed dragon from the, from, I guess the original Zelda. Um, but they're all over the place. I mean, there's like, you know, the, the lightning ones that shoot three beams of lightning at you. There's, uh, I, I was doing this one side quest where I needed to find Zelda's horse who had escaped from the stable that she was keeping her horse at. Um, and the horse had gotten spooked by guess what? An ice Gleok. 
uh, <laughs> which was just kind of flying around one of the mountains. And if you get too close to the horse, then the dragon like essentially just tries to kill you uh, and sure does in about one hit. It's one of those the- enemies where like if you go and fight that thing and you're not prepared, you will absolutely get rocked immediately. <laughs> I have not fought one and I can't even at this I- point that I'm at. I think the added incentive to fighting like a, a really scary enemy in this game is the materials you'll get from it. Because there yeah. wasn't really like it was similar in Breath of the Wild. Like Lionels would drop really cool stuff. Like the Lionel weapons were really good. Right. Uh, but I know now it's like I can probably put a Lionel's like head on a bow or something, and it becomes like a companion. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. There's some wild shit I can do with these parts that that gives me a little bit more of an incentive to like challenge myself. Similarly with like. I went to the Great Plateau, and that's where there was like a Yiga base. Yes. Um, and I was like, I know that Yigas drop rubies, which are like weirdly rare in this world. You don't find a lot of money very easily. Yeah. Um, so like I, I I feel pretty good about taking on uh, and, and it's cool. There there are now I don't know if they were in Breath of the Wild, but like traditionally Yigas fight very like they disappear a lot, then they'll like kind of charge you like a ninja. Mm-hmm. They're very evasive. They're also like bigger ones now that kind of just watch as almost like they're like watching their people fight yeah um it's awesome it's so like the i mean that was something that i think breath of the wild really shocked the world with is like just the adaptiveness of the enemies like picking up their weapons and seeing a bokoblin like shocked that you took their club yeah uh and and like that and then is also still... they would go scrounging for something for themselves to use like they would go like yeah. run over to a bush and like take a branch off of the bush and use that to hit you what I like is that a lot of the Bacoblins especially seem to also be using the fuse power in some way. Like yeah. a lot of them have like, they, they are also kind of improvising and fighting you the same way you were fighting them. Yeah. Um, I love the reveal of like the goblin camp riding the stone talus. Yes. It's, that reminds me a lot. There's a, uh, when I played magic, I was a big goblin guy. I loved goblin decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a card called the Hamlet back Goliath. That was a giant that had a whole goblin camp on his back. And I've always loved that image. And I, I love that it's like in this game. Um, but yeah, I, I also love the Horriblins. They're, they're terrible. The Horriblins are great. Yeah, here, here's, uh, I think, one of the biggest side quests that you haven't found yet. I just I just need to like tell you exists. Um, is there is like a Pokemon Snap adjacent side quest that happens that requires you... Actually, there's more than one now that I think about it. But once you unlock the camera... Um, just start taking pictures of like every monster you see uh, and it will be worth your while. That's something that I love doing just to fill out the compendium in the first game. I do yeah. have the camera, so I'll definitely keep doing yeah. that. So the compendium's um, back and there are two different characters in the game who will give you compendium related side quests. Um, cool. One of which I think you'll be absolutely over the moon about. Yeah, I, uh, I, I cannot wait to play more of this game. It's same as last week. Whenever we talk about it, I'm like, why am I not just playing it right now? Yeah, that's so, what I'm going to do when we're done recording again is uh go play more probably go um, do the zora's domain i think oh shit is sidon back i don't know i'm excited to find out yeah i i love prince sidon as many do yeah because not a lot of our friends from the last game made it back so uh, i'll be interested to see if sidon's here yeah well most of our friends in the a, a lot of breath of the wild was about you know what happened before so a lot of the champions were yeah. characters who had died right. before yeah which seems to be kind of like the the I'm pretty sure Tulin's ancestor is like in the memory scenes. Like a lot of the mm. previous, like the previous sages of wind and time and all that were like in the timeline that Zelda is currently in. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I want to rewatch this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, the one I just got, not to spoil too much, but the one I just got is is a Zonai explaining to Zelda what each of the secret stones do. Yeah. And that it's forbidden to eat one because you'll become a dragon yeah. that lives forever, I think. Yeah. Um, Wild. And uh, yeah, I, I really love like Raru as a character is very interesting, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're just not even like a like a teacher who can't fully spoil the book yet. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Maybe a good sign that we should wrap it up. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was very brave of of uh of Tears of the Kingdom to make Tingle the last sage. Um <laughs> I pointed this out to you, but there is a Tingle Island in this game. Yeah, it's like spelt slightly differently. T-I-N-G-E-L. Uh, and I, I haven't been there yet, but I'm dying to go and just see if there's even like the slightest reference to Tingle there. I'm pretty sure there was a Tingle outfit in Breath of the Wild mm. at the very least. What do you what um, do you what's your like main outfit that you're wearing at this point? I love the I love the um headgear from or the the head accessory from the Rito. Like the little Hermes. Yeah. Bur- and they also keep you warm. So I like having like one. Because I usually, I, I tend to be going to colder areas for some reason. Mm. So like having that. And then I either wear the Rito shirt or the gliding shirt. I love the gliding shirt. The gliding uh, shirt is cool. I, did you get it? Yeah, I got the shirt. I haven't gotten the other stuff yet. Um, But I did learn that if you get that whole set, you don't take fall damage anymore, which is like sick yeah so i i I messed up last week when i was explaining the ability it it adds your diving mobility yeah so you can kind of move around more easily when you're fortniting through the air which is very um it's awesome and then i I still am wearing the trousers of awakening that i got from my link's awakening have you been scanning your amiibo every day no i haven't i've only i scanned i have three i have two zelda amiibos i have the skyward sword zelda amiibo Uh Uh, and I have the Link's Awakening amiibo. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I got the like rare item from each of them, but it's still worth getting the other materials. You can yeah, get. you can scan them every day is the thing. Uh, once cool. a day, every day. So I've, I have been doing that every day since we last recorded because uh, I, I have three, weirdly. The three amiibos I have are all Zelda ones. Uh, and it's uh, the Super Smash Brothers Link one, the Ganondorf one, and the Wolf Link one from Twilight Princess. That one's really cool. I yeah. thought about getting that one. The Wolf Link, I got the, um, there's like a Twilight Princess glider that you can unlock, which is cool. It's like, it's the, uh, I forget what it's called. The mirror of twilight, I think, um, which is like a really just sick pattern. Um, and then the Ganondorf one, usually I just get like meat from, (laughs) um, or sometimes you will get, uh, like a Gerudo Claymore, uh, which I guess is like one of his, Oh, that's sick. Pretty sick. And then the, the super smash brothers one you get, uh, over the course of time, very slowly, I've accumulated the twilight princess outfit, which is like, obviously the thing that I'm wearing now. Yeah. My, uh, one of my favorite, I have like seven amiibos, I think. And one of my favorite ones is wedding Bowser from Odyssey. Oh yeah. He's in the white tux with the top hat and he's doing like a end of musical number pose. Yeah. Um, all he it. gives you is meat. Uh, oh, like awesome. you just get red meat and everyone, all my friends who have held that amiibo have had a nightmare the next day. <laughs> uh, so that is a cursed relic, but I love him so much. Oh, I have the Waluigi amiibo. I should scan that too and see what that does. Yeah. I, uh, I think all the non Zelda ones just give you like meat or items or something like just kind of, yeah, they just stuff. give you like materials. Yeah. yeah. I thought about getting, I'm, I'm surprised I don't have any fire emblem amiibos, but those tend to be like expensive and hard to find for some reason. Yeah. Next um, time you come to Brooklyn, there's a bunch of retro shops that have a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. I'd love to get like a Lucina. I think yeah. that'd be fun. Oh yeah. That'd be cool. Um, cool. Well, <laughs> I think that, sh- that, that might be a good, now that we're just chatting about shopping for amiibos, <laughs> maybe we should call it. 
before this becomes a commercial for like Subway or something. <laughs> yep. Um, I love to eat fresh. I love to eat fresh. I love paying my taxes. I love paying other people. I love paying businesses. <laughs> <laughs> we do need two months off don't we <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of into the aether the low-key video game podcast you can go to into the online for all of our links to everywhere on the internet um thank you so much to everybody who continues to leave apple podcast reviews doing that really does help uh i i will say that again i will say that constantly uh because it's true uh you can also leave comments or reviews or something on spotify now uh, apparently every time we upload an episode now it asks what did you think of this episode and people have been answering that question which is very fun and good uh so thank you to everybody who's doing that um and anything anything else oh we also have our patreon patreon.com slash into the cast which as we mentioned um you're gonna get some stuff on there uh relatively soon we have any percent every week uh, every monday but also uh some extra bonus episodes on the way yeah um, our YouTube is also on into the cast. I think we will continue. If I had to guess, I think we'll probably continue streaming some dreamcast stuff here and there to kind of share that journey. Absolutely. Um, I definitely would love to share just part of skies of Arcadia. That could be a lot of fun. I just show that game off a little bit. Yeah, you um, should. Yeah. But I recently Twitch streamed. Yeah. I recently streamed power stone too. And that was maybe the most fun I've had on a stream in a long time. Uh, that game is completely unhinged in the best <laughs> way possible. Um, so yeah, uh, and again, uh, please, if you have any questions about our hiatus, let us know. I think again, we've, we've covered most of the details there. Um, but I'm really, really excited to finish out this month strong. And then I'm excited to come back in August with our premiere. So yeah. just thank you. Uh, it's amazing that we've been doing the show for five years. Time has flown by so quickly, but we also have a lot of goals for the show. We're really excited about what's on the horizon. So just thank you for like, making us feel confident in the future of the show and that we can also take a break and not like lose any momentum. Like, yeah. I think it's thanks to you that we feel secure in doing that. This show is brought to you by viewers like you. Is that what they said on PBS? <laughs> this show is brought to you by the company that owns the company that owns Subway. <laughs> Fuck. All right. See ya. The shadow corporation that owns any momentum-based devices. <laughs> the one company that owns every glasses manufacturer around the world. The company that profits off faucets being turned on. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for supporting us. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>